This morning's scripture reading is comprised of multiple passages from Proverbs, starting with chapter 15, verse 22. Please follow along in your own Bibles, or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 4. To humans belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. I had to think very hard about uh, what kind of a difference can I make now just for the moment, but if, God forbid, I'm not going to be around, how I will be remembered, uh, what, what can I say now, what can I do now, what can I demonstrate now that he will remember if I'm not around in the future. What I think stuck with me most is like how calm he was through the whole process. He really took a logical approach to it as well, but uh, he still um, kind of integrated that with like uh, belief in God as well. God kind of gave us luck in that we noticed it so early and that gave us the very high chance of uh, success. John 11:4 says, uh, the sickness will not end in death, but to glorify the Father. I use that phrase as an uh, anchor uh, while he was uh, in treatment, and when, particularly when things go, went bad, I just hang on that phrase. I say, Lord, you said it's not going to death. You have to honor that. Lord really handled everything. He provided um, friends for Charles, you know, because, uh, you know, at that age, he was uh, maybe 11. Sometimes uh, the comfort will come from uh, the peers rather than parents. Well, my parents were in the uh, hospital all the time, so I needed somewhere to go. So I spent a lot of time with the Callahans and their friends, and that kind of provided, like, a distraction, sort of. But then... uh, you know, I definitely had some downtime when I was thinking about it, but uh, God kind of, you know, was walking with me. I knew he was there. I kind of just trusted that, you know, even though things seemed impossible, uh, God would find a way to uh, get my dad through. Lord also make Brian a wonderful patient. Uh, all the doctors, nurses, and everybody say, you know, so many times they talk to him actually being uh, lifted up by, by the patient. stories of God's faithfulness. And it was, it's cool. Uh, uh, Charles, I know you're here somewhere. Where are you? 
right there. So I just found out that, yeah, he's, he's going to be an Eagle Scout. He is an Eagle Scout. He, he's got his, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I, I'm a planner. I like to plan. I, I, don't, I'm, I know there's people who are more into planning than I am, but I, I, people who know me would say I'm kind of a planner. But I want to reflect on my life and how many things ha- have happened that I did not plan. And I assume that you have that same list. And uh, that story right there, that, that cancer was not planned. And, uh, but we all have our stories. And the first thing that happened in life that I didn't plan was that I was born. <laughs> right? You too. I don't know. Uh, and then I, I didn't plan to be born a second time in Christ. I didn't plan that. That was not. And uh, I, I was an economics major at the UW, and I planned to get a, an advanced degree in that. And I ended up going to a family business. I didn't plan that. I planned to, to then, once I was in that, to... Uh, grow that and I did grow that but then I got tired I didn't plan the, t- the, the tired I got and the, the restlessness in my soul and so I went to seminary which I didn't plan but I ended up being there I planned to go there for a year but I ended up staying longer I planned to go back into my business uh, more fortified in my Christian faith which I, I did but it just wasn't fitting. And when I was in seminary, I ended up, I didn't plan this, because I had signed up for another class. I don't, I don't remember what class it was, but I ended up getting in the wrong room, and it was a class on church planting, whatever. I ended up sticking at that, and then five years later, I'm a church planter. Didn't plan that, didn't plan to be a pastor, didn't plan to go to Alaska. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but uh, for a planner, there's a lot of stuff that happened that I didn't plan. So, I don't know, uh, I, I think it's accredited to John Lennon, but life is what, hap- is what happens when you are making other plans, right? And I think there's real truth there. Well, the, the two-year-old up on our screen, has, he's on the road. Um, he's been born, like all of us, without an ounce of wisdom. That's the way it works. It's hard to make a case otherwise, especially with a two-year-old. But he's walking down the road, and he's on a, uh, got a direction there, and he has no idea what's around the corner, right? And not a, not a clue. So wisdom, to define it again, is the skill uh, or the ability that we develop to navigate the realities of life. And the realities, we might say, in the biggest sense, this, is, this would be a faith statement. If we just look at the whole Bible, what is, what is reality? Well, the reality is that God has made this world chock full of good intentions for human flourishing. And this world is profoundly broken. Both those things are true at the same time. And how do you make plans for what's around the corner in a world where God has filled this world with good things, but it's also very broken? That's the, that's the trick in making plans. And how do we teach that then to, to our kids? That's where we're going this morning. I want to I begin by um, making an observation about Proverbs in general and the way they function, at least in these uh, certain topics that we're dealing with right now. And I'll, I want to start with what the Proverbs has to say about uh, honey, which you might be surprised, but there's a number of Proverbs that mention honey. Honey is sweet and... Um, 
So Proverbs 24, 13. Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. So there's a, a commendation of honey. But then in the next chapter, you turn the page and it says, if you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. Right? And you find that... So if you, if you just take one proverb and you, you know, pump it up full of air and make that your life verse, you're going to get into big trouble. You'll, you'll end up vomiting a lot. Or, or you'll miss out on honey or whatever. I mean, it's, so I don't, want to, I don't want to use a modern proverb that um, everything in what? Moderation. That's not in, in the Bible, but the idea is there, at least in, in regard to certain things. So the same thing would be true of wine. In general, the Bible has uh, more positive than negative things to say about wine. And yet, here is Proverbs 23:30: Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, uh, they, are, they end up with bloodshot eyes. Right? Do not gaze at the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. So you have these, there's different things. And we're gonna, next week we're going to talk about work and how you don't, you, you don't want to be a slacker, but you don't want to just be frenzied. And with money, you don't, you don't want to have your, an attitude of loving money above all else, but you want to have enough money to live on. See how Proverbs work? At least, at least some Proverbs on some of these categories, they're very, there's a range of health. And then you can get outside of that range on either side. So that's with planning. Um, you can underplan or you can overplan. And um, I'm not getting anything up there on my clicking. So there we go. Don't underplan. This is this is this is my plan here. Our plan together, appropriate word. But don't underplan. Don't overplan. And then look for the deeper plan. Okay. So um, that first verse: the plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. That could have been. It sounds like Ben Franklin, right? It's just, it's just you know, get up early, work hard, blah blah blah. But it, it really is true. If you see people who are just totally, dist- and some of us are more planners than others on that on that temperament scale thing. But uh, those who who plan tend to um, do better in general. And if you're extreme on the underplanning side, it can lead to poverty, not just uh, in regard to possessions, but in regard to your life. Another, other proverbs that deal with this are the, the ant. The, in, in chapter 6 of Proverbs, it talks about the little ant who stores up food for winter. That's called plan. He has a planning system in place, and he's commended for that. And then there's another one in um, Proverbs 23, I think it is, that talks about um, plant your fields and then build your house. If you build your house and then plant your fields, it's too late. The, the, the harvest season will, won't happen. So uh, things like that. Now, just to illustrate, uh, we have three boys, but I'm going to use my uh, first two boys as examples here. They're not here to defend themselves. So, um, But our oldest son was and is um, fairly, he likes, to, he likes to organize things and structure things. And he, it turns out he's an engineer today, which doesn't surprise us at all. When he was little, he played with Legos, and all of his Legos were fairly neat, categorized, straight lines. You could tell what it was. It was a building with you know, structure, all that kind of stuff. When he 
contemplated college, this is where I wanted to go. Uh, he, he knew, like from his sophomore year, where he wanted to go. He wanted to go to the University of Portland. The reason he wanted to go there was because he had heard somebody who was older and wiser talk about it, and he was in ROTC, this guy was, and Aaron went to the University of Portland, went to ROTC, did his four years in the, in the Air Force, is a civil engineer, he's on track. You get the point here? His... So, Eagle Scout, too. It takes, it takes somebody with, yeah, you know, the, those guys that, that you know, the, 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 yeah, the, the hasty folks aren't going to make it to Eagle Scout. So, it takes a lot of endurance. Well, our middle son, he's, he's a great kid, but he's nothing like, the, are kids ever the same if you have more than one? I mean, I just don't think so. That's probably a proverb. But um, he loved literature. He had a, a, an imagination. When he built Legos that looked like Dr. Seuss had designed them, you know, kind of this, that, and the other. And uh, he, uh, when it came to college, he... Uh, sort of dilly-dallied on that decision after high school and he ended up going to like the only option available to him was a Bible college which was great with us we were fine with that he had a great year there but you're kind of hoping that now he's learned something about how you you don't wait and put things off and it so we were in Alaska and it it was uh, July and he still hadn't you know July and it's not very far days wise Till fall, and what are you going to do? And and so uh, it was actually July 23rd, and he hadn't made a decision yet. It's, I'm not recommending this. And uh, we were for the I don't know tenth time we were sitting at the kitchen table with the big talk, and you got to do something, or you know nothing nothing's going to happen. And so I said, What do you want? And he says, Dad, all I really want is a school where I can wear shorts. Okay. <laughs> So we got him. We got he got into Azusa Pacific, and he's a good student. I mean, and he did well there. And uh, this last Friday, which just gives hope to to many who have children who are not planners, um, he we went to his ceremony at the UW PhD in history. So it can have yeah, it's good, you know. And um, the, the most wise thing he ever did was marrying that the woman that he married, Jen. And she is a um, she's got getting her PhD in economics, and e- economists are planners. Let me tell you, she's a planner, and she uh, helps helps uh, balance that that thing out. All right, so. Um, the, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Underplanning can be a real problem in life. But so can overplanning, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time on, on that one because I have a hunch that most people on the, on the plateau here would be more overplanners than underplanners. I, I don't know, I might be wrong on that. But um, so the, the verse that we're going to start with and you'll see in these verses, uh, the first one is Proverbs 27.1, and the second one is Jesus. Uh, by the way, Jesus is very, very wise. Uh, say, say more about that. But do not boast about tomorrow. And the other one starts out, do not worry about tomorrow. So there's those two things, boasting and worrying, are the, the problems or the challenges of somebody who, who tends to overplan. Um, and if you, we're talking about tomorrow. So uh, planning obviously has something to do about the, with the future. 
And the, the gist of how this is going to work is, is we have to think about the future. We are to plan for the future, but that there's a line that we can cross where we end up in God's territory, and God is the one who really owns the future. Uh, a great saying that I can't remember who said it was, you might as well give God the future, it's his anyway. And it, it brings a little bit of peace to us when we say that. But um, the future is not ours to control. So if we try to over-control the future, we, we worry. Uh, now, I want to say this about, about worry. Uh, it gets a bad reputation, especially in churches. But when I, I think about my younger son, a little more worry would have been a good thing for him. You know, just ramp it up a bit, right? Because if, he don't, if you don't worry, somebody's going to worry for you. And it's usually a mom or something like that. But it, there, there's, like, there's a right amount of worry, and then you get into God's territory, and you're over-worrying. And over-planning and over-worrying tend to go together. So that's trying to give you that balance here. But let's, let's focus in on the pride. Uh, do not boast about tomorrow. And this gets in when we, we try to take over uh, God's responsibilities. When, when we're that little kid uh, walking down the road there, you can just barely see him, but there's a corner in front. It turns to the left, and you can't see what's there. And so because you can't see what's there, you try to control what you cannot see. Now we're in God's territory. And uh, I want to give you a C.S. Lewis quote that uh, illustrates, let's see here, oh, before we, I want, to, I want to show you this one. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. This, this gives us that place. How do we know what our role is and what God's role is? And then many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. So it's, it's in living into both sides of those, those proverbs that you find out where our part is, where God's part is, and where we tend to go too far with our worry and with our pride. So here's the Lewis quote. In ancient times, the cardinal problem of human life was how to conform the soul to objective reality. That, that's what we've been talking about here. With, with, that's what wisdom is, is, is conforming our soul to the objective reality that God has made. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern person, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to our wishes. And the solution is a technique. So to, to illustrate that with the little boy walking down the road, uh, a modern solution to that would be to maybe, I don't know, um, have sensors out there that give you feedback about what's around the corner or have a drone fly over with some kind of video thing that you can see what's around the corner. But in other words, something that helps put you in control. And it's a technique that will help you do that. It's not wisdom, necessarily. Although some of those things can be helpful. I'm not, I'm not arguing that. But it's, it's this crossing the line into where's God's territory and keeping our focus on our, our responsibility. So here's another way to look at it. We would love to buy a book that says five great steps to great decisions, right? But what God is was saying is it's not so much about making wise decisions, although that's good, but it's becoming the kind of person who makes wise decisions. So it's a character thing. It's not a technique. It's, it, there's no techniques involved here other than just um, getting, uh, absorbing more character, and it takes time to absorb character. 
but we're impetuous and we're proud and we want to uh, get into that territory where, where God is his territory. And then the other part of the pride is thinking that we can do it on our own. And so Proverbs um, 14.12, this proverb will go a long ways in life. And when you look back, you'll see how true it is. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Think Think of many relationships. You thought, this is just the right person, you know, looking back, and then it, it just ended in a really bad place. But the, the things that you once thought were true that you know aren't anymore, that's how we learn that. We, get, we build our batting average up based on our experience. Remember, we don't start out with any wisdom, but we accumulate it as we go on. But if you're on your own, you can just, it can be a horrible uh, cycle of one mistake after another. So... Plans fail for lack of counsel, but many advisors, with many advisors, they succeed. This is why the Bible counsels us to have those wise people come around us when we're making decisions. A very unwise thing to, to, to marry someone that you haven't had your best friends check out. Is that the right person for me? I mean, that's unwise. And, and they, they, they should be doing the same thing. Um, so here's, here's how you might think about it. Think about your 20-year-old self, uh, depending on how old you are. Maybe if you're younger than that, you have to change the numbers. But just think of your 20-year-old self and what you decided in, as your 20-year-old and how some of that stuff seems so foolish now. And then maybe you're, you're reflecting on that from being 35. And you look back and you know, you're, hopefully your batting average is going up as you get older. That's the idea here. You accumulate wisdom as you get older. And then think of your 50-year-old self, if you, or you may have to project that out there, but you just, and then you look back on your 35-year-old self, and you get wise. But why not have counselors come in who can provide that other self for you? See, the problem is we don't know our batting average when we're in the moment. It seems right, it seems like right, but in the end it may lead to death, that decision. So it, there's a humility that comes with asking other people to come around you to make big decisions in your life. Um, I've got one more thing we're going to do here before we get to the, the last part. And it has to do with this, it's kind of a, uh, there's a lot that's been written and I'm going to try to condense it down into a philosophy uh, argument here. But um, it, I want you to look at these verses again. We looked at these earlier. In their hearts, humans plan their course. That's our part. That's good. It's good to plan. But then we get into overplanning. But the Lord establishes their steps. If we put ourselves in there, we plan our course, and then I establish my steps. Or many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the person's purpose that prevails. See, that's where we get in trouble. Now, to take those two phrases, those, those two verses in the first part of each phrase, it, the focus is on our free will, right? I mean, it's what we choose to do. And God wants to grow that in, our, our free will in us in a positive way by developing character. The second part is about God's sovereignty, his ultimate control. So how do our free will and his control over our lives, how do those mesh? That's the question. And if you've been in, ever been in any kind of a, uh, well, a philosophy class or one of those whatever classes, it's, either, it's called free will versus determinism or, or something along those lines. So how do these fit together? And here's, here's what we can say is that they both are 100% true. You are 100%, you have, one, you have, you have control. You, you have self, uh, you, you can free will. I mean, there's nothing, you, you, if you want to do something, good or bad, you can do it. 
true. And the Lord establishes your steps. They're both true, and if you ask really smart people, there's, there's no one that can explain how those two things fit together. They just, you, you're above your pay grade. We all are. So, uh, some humility there. However, what we can say is that we're in big trouble if only one of those things is true at the expense of the other. Big trouble. So, determinism, or the, that God is in control and our free will doesn't matter. Let's just go with that for a sec. Okay, what is, how does that make me feel? My choices don't really matter. I'm not responsible because I'm only doing what I'm pre-programmed to do. That uh, I, I'm a pawn in a, in a bigger game. My free will is an illusion. This has been argued, by the way. But it leads to a place of, emotionally, it leads to a place of despair. You, I mean, it's, you're, you're not worth anything. If all you are is a pawn, there's no dignity there. And you end up in a place of despair. So what if, but what if you're all about the free will? So some people have gone to the existentialists, will go there and they'll, they'll say, everything is about my decisions. There's nothing beyond that. There's no meta-narrative that is over that. There's no grace that, I mean, it's, it's just pure me and what I decide. I have to create my identity and my purpose in life. <sighs> How does that make you feel? If you do really well at it, you can become proud. If you do really poorly at it, you're going to be full of anxiety. There's no, there's no way to win here. I, I, I found this, uh, one of my favorite Woody Allen quotes, just to bring humor to places that are pretty dark and depressing, but he says, Today we are at a crossroads. One road leads to hopelessness and despair. The other road leads to total extinction. <laughs> then he says, pray, Let us pray and choose wisely. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's not much choice there. You see, they have, to, they have to both be true. We just can't understand how they can both be true at the same time. That's called being human. Um, so, um, hopefully that is helpful to you. And if you, by the way, if, if you remember the uh, movie, uh, the movies, Back to the Future... At the very end, there's a wonderful scene. I think everybody kind of loves that scene with the train. And Dr. Brown is on the train, and he, Marty uh, McFly and his um, girlfriend are there. And there's the final exchange. And, and Dr. Brown, you know, in his, kind of, in his way, he says, The future is whatever you make it, so make it a good one. Right that? Remember that? And how everybody just feels so charged up by that? But that is exactly the free will philosophy. There's nothing else. There's no God. It's just, it's you. It's all upon you. And it feels really energizing in that moment. But when you stop and think about it, do you really want it to be all about you? How does that feel? You know, my summer reflection, uh, I've been drawn to the 23rd Psalm. And every summer I try to go to a psalm and uh, take it in. And the 23rd Psalm is my psalm this summer. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything except him. So when you look at that little boy there, that's me, uh, you know, I mean, or whoever. And I have no idea what's around the corner. And one day, death will be around the corner. I have no idea what's around the corner. But I know the one who knows what's around the corner. The Lord is my shepherd. Great is thy faithfulness. Yeah, that's the decision that you have to make. And impart to you children. Because kids are going to have 
some rough roads. We know that. Just look at your own life. Preparing them for the road is to let them know that God is their shepherd. So the deeper plans, how do we look for the deeper? Oh, this is the fatalist one here. I'm not a fatalist, but even if I were, what could I do about it? Okay. A little, a little more. That's, that's along with Woody Allen there. That's the, all right. Look for deeper, the deeper plan. I want to go to uh, uh, the, the story of Joseph real quickly here in the book of Genesis. Joseph was, we pick him up, or remember him at least when he's 12 years old. And what is he, what is he wearing? Yeah, yeah, this bright colored, and he's the favored son, and he's a dreamer. He's not really a planner. He's a dreamer, a lofty dreamer, and he has dreams about himself. Kind of full of himself, maybe, but special, you know, kind of, um, you know, just that, that precocious thing that, you know, there's something special there, but they shouldn't know it themselves kind of thing. And Anyway, his brothers get jealous, and of course, Joseph didn't have a plan to get thrown into a pit. But he got thrown into a pit. And then he didn't have a plan to go to Egypt, but these Egyptians come in and they pull him out of the pit and they take him to Egypt. And he's basically enslaved there, but he works his way up and he didn't have a plan to become the, uh, the, the worker in, in this nice house. And he didn't have a plan to become accused of rape by the boss's wife. And he didn't have a plan then to be in jail for two long years. Think of all the things that he didn't plan that happened to him. And he certainly didn't have a plan to become the prime minister of Egypt, if you know the story. And then one day these people come around and they're his people and he didn't have a plan for that. But God had, see how God's in control? And the cool thing is Joseph was a planner. Even though all these things happened to him, He had a plan for saving the nation of Egypt. He had this great seven-year plan of storing up food for seven years of drought. Do you remember that in the story? He's a great planner. But all these things happened to him that weren't planned. And sort of the pinnacle or the apex of the story is when his brothers who have uneasy, uneasy consciences from what they had done to him way back when in the pit, and they... They come and they're, they're worried about the future. And Joseph says to them, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Their free will was meant for evil. And God meant it for good. It's, it's a amazing thing. There's a story that sort of illustrates the deeper, look for those deeper plans in your life. And I think, I think uh, in the Waller story and in the Pickering story that you heard this morning, you hear those deeper reflections that somehow even this, this thing called cancer or leukemia, God can use for good. And, it, and it's at the heart of the, of the Bible, this whole thing, because Jesus was crucified. I mean, evil, just there on that Friday, crucified on a cross in a very horrible way. All those people that put him there meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see how this story works? And it works in our own lives that way. C.S. Lewis and um, J.R.R. Tolkien discovered or coined a phrase, a word, that I want to I give you as we close. And the word is eucatastrophe, E-U-catastrophe. 
catastrophe. And EU always means good. So a good catastrophe. It was a good catastrophe. And what it is, it's when there's a tragedy there that is unfolding and then there's a sudden turn, a joy-filled sudden turn and a surprise. And that's why we could call Good Friday Good Friday. You Friday. It's Good Friday. And the sudden turn comes on Sunday morning where the joy of heaven breaks forth. Do you, here's a question, I just want you, because that road is very real for everybody, and there are many twists and turns. It's never a straight road. For my older son, who's a great planner, it's not a straight road. For my younger son, who could use a little bit more planning skills, it's, it's not a straight road. And we don't know when death will be around the corner from us. We don't know that day. We don't know the hard things or the good things. All we know is that we are called to say, the Lord is my shepherd as I walk through this life. Can Let's pray that together. Lord, be my shepherd. Be my shepherd. We do not know the future. I do pray for responsible planning for myself and for all here. I pray that we can impart that to our children, whatever that means. But I pray that we would know that you are good, that you are the one who is uh, shaping our path as we walk through this life. Give us the uh, confidence and the peace that goes with that knowledge, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.